Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. We're in the last week of Generation Exceptional. We're trying to become a community that is exceptional at accepting one another. We've heard the call of the Apostle Paul to accept each other just as, in other words, in the same way, in the same manner, Christ has accepted you. And of course, we've acknowledged we're all imperfect people, and Christ accepted us not in our perfection, but with our imperfections, he accepts us, and we want to do that one for the other. So over the course of the last number of weeks, we've identified the generational priorities. As we age in each stage in life, there's certain priorities of how we can posture ourselves to best contribute to the church and to our mission here. So for boomers, it's to be open-handed and resource. And the idea around this is you have so many experiences that younger generations have yet to have. And some of those are even tough experiences. You've learned a lot. There's wisdom you've gained over the years. Uh, You have spiritual maturity. You have financial stability. You have career experiences. And so we're saying to our boomers, open up your hands. You can't take it with you invest into future generations. And to Xers, we're asking you to mentor, to become active listeners, and to become active hero makers. Remember, uh, the challenge for us middle kids is this. We're building platforms for other people to stand on. That's what we're trying to do. And then last week, we, we challenged our millennials. We said, we need you to lead. We need you to lead. Lead and serve in our community. This is your moment. This is your time. Now, we want to talk to Gen Zers now. And we want to talk to Gen Z, one of the most collaborative generations we've ever seen historically. We want to encourage you to create. And that's going to require some confidence to do that. And we'll be talking about that today. But to know more about Gen Z and, you know, introduce Gen Z in this coming out party moment to the rest of our church community, I sat down with the director of Waybase, a research and database Uh, faith-based organization here in Canada, and he's also the director of City Movement. I sat down with he and his son to talk all things Gen Z. Give it a listen. Hey, One Church CEO. I'm so happy to invite uh, two special guests, Tim Day and his son, Nathan Day, uh, to talk all things Gen Z. Welcome to One Church CEO, guys. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Hi, thank you. Uh, Listen, let's start right off out of the gate by asking you, what makes Gen Z so different? What, what, what makes them different from other generations? What should we know about this new emerging generation? Uh, right out of the gate, they're the first generation that has uh, been globally connected in real time their whole lives. So they get, they get called um, digital natives. It's just natural for them to be connected, to be learning, to understand, to, to collaborate, to interact all the time. So uh, millennials might have the time where I remember back before the smartphone and kind of wishing for simpler times for Gen Z, they have been living in an interconnected world, which explains a lot of their like, why are they anxious? Yeah. Well, because if I was globally connected all the time, I would be worried about all the issues going on in the world. 
if I was hyper knowledgeable, like if I was connected, I'd be hyper knowledgeable about everything and uh, I'd want to find practical solutions. So a lot of the things around this generation that defines them is the fact that they've been globally connected in real time their whole lives. Yeah. And maybe just to add to that a little bit, um, I think that that constant um, connectivity and that um, being very, very globally aware, um, it's also creating a very collaborative environment, I think. And you're seeing that in um, like sometimes call them like the TikTok generation too. I'm not on TikTok, but um, that's a super collaborative app, right? And so like people are sharing content constantly and adding to each other's content. And I think we're seeing that reflected now at the the franchise level of a lot of media companies and and um, story worlds that it's like, hey, there's an expectation of um, like the term I, I love is like participatory culture. And it's like, we're expecting participation. We're expecting a feedback loop, right? It's not, this isn't a top-down game so much anymore. So what are some of the things that researchers are seeing and you guys have experienced in some of your work and research about the interests of uh, Gen Z and, and, and their interest in participating? And I'm thinking whether it's in the entertainment area or whether it's in just uh, uh, the world and the, the you, you had mentioned, uh, Tim, about their connectedness and the issues that are going on in the world. And then eventually we'll kind of move that into even spiritual communities. Could you talk a little bit to their interests and their practices? Um, yeah, they, they, because they're globally connected, you see a lot in um, East meets West. Uh, they share across and enjoy things from all across the world. And so you see this rise in, let's say, in kids in the West. They're connected to anime, to uh, K-pop. They are very action-oriented. Yeah. Um, they want their creatives that a lot of them are content creators. They're very natural at generating their own content and sharing that and passing that around. In some ways, they're better content creators than professional content creators. Yeah, and I think um, I think that interest, um, like groups being defined more by terms of interest rather than something like uh, geography or um, like in terms of like I'm I'm more similar and I have more community with the people that I have similar interests with online than maybe I do with the people at my high school, right? Right. And um, yeah, I think it's just, especially in, I mean, our context being Canada and the US, it's like, we're just becoming so much more diverse, like friend groups are becoming more diverse. And um, and failures on that front are more on display now, right? Like last year with the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the police brutality that was coming to light, it's like, Hey, that's a super important thing. And like, we all have a spot, we all have a place. And, um, I think you've kind of mentioned before, it's like any, anybody's pain is, is shared pain, right? Like we're, we're becoming a big family here. So, so that's interesting, Nathan, cause that kind of does speak to the idea of, you know, family, right? <laughs> it really does. You know, uh, how does this play out in church communities? And I'm thinking of spiritual communities where you have grampy, the parents, brothers and sisters, older brothers and sisters, and yourself at the table. What do you think the church is going to look like in the hands of Gen Z, for for example? And maybe speaking to boomers, Xers, even millennials, uh, what should they be anticipating uh, if we're going to journey and have Gen Z as a part of our community, a thriving part and growing into it? How, how, where are you seeing that uh, some best practices maybe of making space and room for this generation? 
you know, a few things. One is action, you know, actions speak louder than words. Uh, this is a generation that wants to take action. Mm. So if you're uh, one of the older generations and you uh, want to kind of be passive and sit back and mail in a check, that's not Gen Z. Gen Z wants to get out and do stuff and be proactive. They want to be a part of global solutions and local solutions, and they want to, you know, help create a better future and be active in that. So uh, they also want to do it together where yeah. everyone belongs and everyone is valued. And you think of those, those, those types of the, just those two ideas. Uh, one more I'll add in grit. They're the first generation since World War II that has grit in their psychological makeup, uh, which means that they may be anxious, they may be struggling, but they're going to try to face their fears. They're going to try to overcome their challenges. They're going to dig in. And if you put those pieces together, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Oh. You know, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Sounds right. pretty pretty. Um, uh, you know, the no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, no male, no female. Everyone is one in Christ. That sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Where everyone belongs. So a lot of these um, values that they hold are actually, you can find a very deep connection to Jesus' message underneath it. The thing is they want to see it lived. They, they want to challenge the church to really not just aspire to it, but to apply it to their lives and to create a safe community where we do this together. Yeah. And I think um, like what you mentioned, Jonathan, about like how churches are a place where you have people from the older generation, people who are parents, people who are, you know, like children. It's, I think that's one of the really, really strong qualities of Christian communities in general is that value. So just picking up on that, Nathan, and this is for either of you, it's it's almost like throwing uh, throwing them the keys to the car, maybe before we ever receive the keys to the car uh, and our generation. And so, uh, you know, speak to, uh, obviously churches have a lot, we have a lot of tradition, we have our ways and stuff. How, how are Gen Z going to operate in that? Uh, you know, if, if you could fast forward the button, um, and as well, like as we toss them the keys too, what, what, what do you think uh, is going to be some of the long-term fruit in that? When I was younger, you know, Jonathan, I always imagined what I would change in the church when I was, and when I, my generation got older, we'd made those changes. I grew up in a church that had a, an organ and, you know, all those changes happened under us. And I think we should anticipate Gen Z will do the same thing. Uh, when, as they come in, they'll make changes to rewire the church to reach their generation, their world. Right. They're not building a church for, they're not going to be inspired by God's spirit to build a church for 1950. They're going to be inspired to build a church for 2050, right? Yeah. So it's going to be a different kind of church with a different kind of mission. So we should anticipate that. And so, you know, in terms of some of those traditions, uh, every challenge, every generation has to be challenged with Jesus teaching about the wineskins, about pouring new wine into new wineskins, right? And so you have to kind of open up to say some of these transitions may be maintained, some may be re reworked, and some may be let go. That's okay. What's important isn't our traditions. What's important is lives being changed mm -hmm. and people encountering Jesus. 
Thank you, Tim and Nathan. And I'm speaking as someone who has a millennial in my home and a Gen Zer in my home. And I know we're speaking to people that have Gen Zers in their home. If you're an Xer and you have children, you likely have a Gen Zer in your home. Now, listen, Gen Z is born between 1996 and 2015. And the words associated with Generation Z, did you hear what Tim and Nathan were talking about? Are words like grit. That's a fantastic word. And the last uh, generation that had grit in their psychological profile were the builders and the boomers. So there's a real connectivity between those generations, which is fantastic. There's words like collaborative. This is the most collaborative generation, the TikTok generation. I like that kind of word or, or idea around it. They're content creators. Now, there is one word associated with Gen Z that I'm gonna hone in a little bit more and help with, hopefully today, and it's the word anxiety. Um, statistically, 68% of Gen Zers feel overwhelmed weekly, weekly, with their weekly challenges, the challenges of life that they have. So as I prayed about and thought about, what's a life verse I could give Gen Zers who are watching maybe today? If you're watching, I'm speaking to you today. And of course, as we've noticed in every weekend message, there's peripheral things for all of us, no matter what our generation is. But here's the, word, here's the life verse I'd love to give you. And if you're a Gen Zer, say it out loud with me. If you're a boomer, millennial, Gen Xer, say it out loud with me. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now, that is much easier said than done. We know that. But one of the ways you can lower your, anxiety, lower your anxiety in Gen Z, if you can do this earlier in life, it'll spare you a lot of pain later in life, is to live a life without duplicity, without, as the Bible says, being double-minded, because that creates a level of anxiety in us. So I want to talk to you about your identity today, because if you can solidify your identity you can minimize your anxiety. Catch that again. If you can solidify your identity, who you are, you can minimize your anxiety. Now, the Bible has tons of language around, I call it identity language. You can go back to the very opening chapters of Genesis and see it. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, is a, is a, it's like a treatment of identity where you can find a solid identity that'll lower anxiety. So, the Apostle Paul says this, to God's holy people, that was an identifying marker. He's calling them holy people in Ephesus. Ephesus, we'll talk about that in a minute. The faithful in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So Paul is making a case that if you want to have a solid identity that will minimize your anxiety, then you, you find your identity in Christ. And what's interesting in the following verses, verses 3 to 14 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's a large run-on sentence. It was originally written in the Greek language, and there's no punctuation. If you're a Gen Zer, uh, your English teacher who loves proper grammar and punctuation wouldn't like this. It's one large run-on sentence of who, what is true of you if you are in Christ Jesus. Because Paul is preaching here. He's preaching to the, to the people in Ephesus. Here's what he says is true of you if you are in Christ Jesus. He says, this is true. You are chosen. You are chosen. Do you remember that feeling, boomer, Xer, millennial? And maybe going back to school, you're feeling that feeling, uh, Gen Z. But that feeling when, when they're picking teams at gym or they're picking teams in the, in the playground, and you're just waiting to hear your name called. 
I mean, the, the weight you feel as you wait to he- be wanted, wait to be chosen, and then that feeling, it's just like an overwhelming weight you feel in your gut. And then the moment your name gets called, the weight goes away. It's incredible. It goes away automatically. Here's the thing about this. Gen Z, every generation, every boomer, millennial, builder, Xer in the house, we've all longed to be wanted and chosen. Everyone is designed to be wanted and chosen. And that's a weight that we have in our life. Culturally, we think identity is something you choose. Biblically, you are chosen. You are chosen. So he says, if you're in Christ, you've been chosen. The second thing he says, if you're in Christ, he, he calls them holy and blameless. Now, I don't care what generation you're coming from. I'm sure many of us, even watching today, you don't feel holy or blameless, do you? You don't feel, when you look in the mirror, you're not thinking, man, I feel holy, uh, I feel holy and I feel blameless. The thing with blame is it creates a major weight on you. And if, if that becomes, if that can, continues in your life, blame eventually change, changes the shame. And shame, when it becomes a part of your identity, it creates anger in us. So we become sensitive or defensive towards other people because we know they blame us. Sometimes blame gets put on us. Sometimes blame is rightfully, we deserve it. We've done things that might be blameworthy. But when it's allowed to weigh on in your life and it becomes shame, you become defensive or sensitive, or you become like Adam and Eve. You withdraw. You withdraw. Uh, you, you begin to hide. So even when you're with your friends, even when you're with social, in a social setting, you hide who you really are because you're ashamed. You're ashamed. Here's the amazing thing about what Paul says and what Scripture says. In Scripture... Your identity is not based on something you did. It's based on something that was done for you. What was done for you. Friends, if you're in Christ, you're blameless. Not because you're actually blameless, but because you're in Christ, Jesus is blameless, and he says this, that you have become the righteousness of God in Christ, meaning that we stand blameless because we are in Christ. So in Christ, we're chosen. In Christ, we're holy and blameless, Paul says. And in Christ, he says, we're adopted. It's kind of connected to this chosen part. But I love adoption language. I love that idea because in Christ... You've been chosen. You are wanted. You are included. You belong, friends, in Christ. And in fact, hear this Gen Zer, because every generation longs to be seen and heard. In Christ, you are seen. In Christ, you are heard. Who hears you? You know what? You go on social media, and everybody wants to be seen and heard by the powers that be. You are seen and heard by the author of of the universe. Oh, friends, it, it, our identity is not, no longer determined by who we think we are. It's not uh, who, who am I, it's whose am I? 
and we belong to him. We've been adopted. And then finally, we've been chosen, holy and blameless, adopted. And then Paul says this, that you've been redeemed and forgiven, and that's great news. See, if you feel like no matter how, what you do in life, Gen Zer, and as you grow older, you're going to accumulate what I call just, it's like plaque on your teeth. You know, you got to brush your teeth. <laughs> it's like guilt that you begin to accumulate because you're going to do some things you regret. You're going to make some decisions you wish you could unmake. And here's the beautiful thing that when you're in Christ, you can receive redemption, forgiveness, it says in scripture that Christ makes us brand new. There's nothing we ever do or could do that cannot be forgiven in Christ Jesus. So great is his grace. So friends, how do you determine? And this is the problem. Listen, Gen Zers, you're not alone. Builders, boomers, millennials, Gen Xers, you, we all have the same problem. We all have competing identities. You and I all have competing identities. Paul helps us to understand that even in verse one, he says this, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Two prepositions contrasting two different identities. Have you ever noticed in the city of Toronto, which is the most multicultural city in the world, people often identify with where they're from, where they're from. It's kind of a, a, a question or a statement and people are a little bit proud of where they're from. We understand that where we're from, the family we grew up in, the way we grew up, the situation we grew up in shaped who we are. We have multiple identifying factors and sometimes those identifying factors conflict with each other. When, Jesus, when, when Paul is talking to this church in Ephesus, the Ephesians were a lot like Torontonians. They had conflicting identifying factors in them. You see, the city of Ephesus was on the, on the Aegean Sea, and it's in modern-day Turkey, and it was a trade city. So one of its key identifying factors was economic prowess. So people in Ephesus, they identified with what they had because it was a great city of commerce. It was also a great city of education. It had, at the time, the largest library in the then-known world. This is a picture of it in the city of Ephesus. They were known and proud of their knowledge and their education. That was something that ident they identified with. They also had the Temple of Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, ancient world. And in it, the worship practices in there had to do with sexuality and sex. And sex was a major part of how Ephesians identified themselves. And then they had a 25,000-seat amphitheater in the city. They identified themselves by their entertainment. All of these things identified who an Ephesian was. That's how they identified themselves. They made the mistake that many Torontonians make, that I've made that some of the boomers online have made and millennials have made and, and builders have made and, and Gen Z, you'll make this on occasion. But let me help you hopefully prevent some of the pain that I've had to endure and maybe others have. See, the, the Ephesians, just like the Torontonians, often built their identity from what they did, from what they did, from what they do in life. You see, much of the identity of Ephesians, just like Torontonians, was based on their success and what they achieved. Their identity came from, achieve, came from what they achieved, not from what they received. 
So their education, their, their promotions, all of these things form their identity. Listen, fair warning, friends, because I talk to many people who hit moments where they retire or things change in their life, and they found their identity in what they were doing. And when it went away, they were lost. They were lost. See, that happens to people along the way. And when you build your identity on what you do, uh, you'll find yourself in insecurity and, and anxiety that follows you in life. You can also build your identity on what you have. And the Ephesians did this. It was built on what they had in this life. And Torontonians do the same thing. It can be what we drive and what we wear. And, you know, Drake just dropped a new album. And, you know, so much of, of, uh, of celebrity is about what makes them different or better than. And the problem with things, and this is not a knock on Drake or anything, we all get caught up in this if we're not careful. And the thing is, though, that there will always be someone who has something more than you. And all of these things go away. You build a life on what you have, you're going to have great anxiety in this life. There's a third thing that the Ephesians could have built their life on, and it was what they did in their past. You see, the Ephesians were the first Christians. So they had a life before Christ, just like many of us listening now had a life before Christ. And they did many things that being Ephesians, with all of the trappings of that city, they probably did many things that they might be even ashamed of right now. And I'm sure when Paul is calling them holy and blameless, they're thinking like, I don't feel very holy. I don't feel very blameless. They had probably had a pretty rough past. See, some of you are wrestling with something you did because it's become attached to your name. And Paul would say, and Jesus would say, that it's not what you did, it's what's been done for you. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you in Christ become the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that we aren't capable of bad things because we're imperfect, but we can find redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Here's the fourth thing that you can be tempted to build your identity around and it's what you desire in life. See, instead of defining your desires, often your desires begin to define who you are. And in Ephesus, you could find a home for any desire you have. And here's the truth about all of us listening right now. We all have conflicting desires. We have desires. So listen, if you have a partner in life, you, desire, you may desire to be faithful to them, but you may have a desire for someone else too conflicting desires all at the same time. How do you know which desire is best? How do you build your identity around a desire? How do you know which one to follow in life? Well, listen, let's admit, every one of us, Gen Zers, you two, all of us listening today, we're all a little confused. We, we all have identity confusion in life. Some of us confuse our identity and you might be a person of faith, but sometimes really your identity as a dad uh, supersedes that identity of being in Christ or your identity as a mom or your identity as a brother, sister, or your, uh, your identity as a, as, a, as a successful business person or your identity as somebody who's used to being in power or used to whatever it is. We, we all have little mini addictions and we all have conflicting agendas and we all have conflicting desires in life. So how should we as a church respond to our city that has a little bit of identity confusion well, I would say that we should respond with compassion because we know what it's like. 
We're all imperfect people with conflicting desires in our life. Paul talks about it in another portion of scripture where he, he so wants to follow Jesus in his way, but he also wants to sin and, and do his own thing. And it's like these two things are warring inside of you. So we should have compassion for people that are struggling to find identity. But we all should, should bring clarity. And so Gen Zers, I got a question for you that I think can bring a lot of clarity. And it's simply this. Which identity markers, because we have multiple in our life, our family of origin, where we're from, what we do, all of these things, which identity marker is truer of you? You see, friends, there are things that are true of you, good and bad, but there are things that are truer of you. Uh, let me give you an illustration. I've never made it a secret at One Church CO that I love, I love, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. And uh, I, that's true of me. I love ice cream. I also like to eat healthy. That's also true of me. So if you gave me a bowl of ice cream and a bowl of broccoli, I don't ask myself, Jonathan, which one do you feel like eating? Because ice cream would win every time. I don't ask that. I ask instead, Jonathan, who are you? The guy who eats a tub of ice cream or the guy who's going to eat healthy? Now, on occasion, this guy wins. But more often than not, I would say this is truer of me. So what is truer of you? If you could determine that at a young age, Jen said, this will eliminate a ton of anxiety that you could feel in this life. And it's a daily choice we make. What is truer of us? You could say, Jen said, you could say to me today, I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. I feel all alone. And that might be how you feel. And it also might be a little bit of your reality. Maybe your family's not embraced you. Maybe, maybe you don't have too many friends. You're going back to school and you're feeling the weight of that. That could be true of you. But what is truer of you is that you have been chosen and you belong and you're included. If you can remind yourself that I may feel this way, this might be a reality in my life, but the truer thing about me in Christ, I belong. I'm included. You might say, Jen Zetter, you might say, listen, I've done a lot of bad things. I, I've lied. I've been a thief. I'm an addict. I'm a criminal, whatever it might be. You know, and they, those things might be true of you. But if you're in Christ, what is truer of you? You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. It is not counted against you anymore. Oh, the people in Ephesus would have felt that load come off them, that weight of blame and shame come off them so they could live a less anxious life. Torontonians, you had that same opportunity. The author David Lamo says this, that identity is the truest thing about you. And before I pray for all of our generations here, and at the end of our gathering, we're going to go into a Q&A time. So throw your questions into the chat room, and Stephanie and I are going to have a conversation about this, this last generation, about all of our generations over this entire series, which has been, I'm so thankful for the way you've engaged as a community around it. I would say this, that the truest thing about you, Jen Zetter, it's not even what your parents say about you, it's not what your friends say about you. It's not about what culture and society say, uh, says about you. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. And I know this. God created you. You're not an accident. You've been made in his image. Identity language, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
and he has a plan for your life and he is for you, not against you. Uh, let's close our gathering in prayer and then we'll come back for some Q&A. Father, thank you for the many generations that make up this spiritual community. God, I give you thanks for the builder generation. Uh, so faithful, so generous, so sacrificial. I'm thankful for the, the boomer generation and all of their energy that they injected into the church and the way, God, that we, we saw so much growth with that generation. God, I give thanks for my fellow Xers who recognize it's not about us in this moment. And God, that, that they see their role as helping to elevate those that are older than us and those that are younger than us. God, I'm thankful for our millennials. And I pray as they step into the leadership, help the rest of us be so gracious towards them. Help us to choose trust over suspicion and help us to support them as they lead and serve in this church and in this world. And God, collectively as a community, we pray for our Gen Zers. Would you watch over them and protect them? And God, as they create, give them confidence, God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help them, this most anxious generation yet, would you help, God, them to find the peace of God that passes all understanding? Would you guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus' name? And everybody in our entire community said aloud and together, Amen, which means so be it. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.